there's an introductory phrase, I'll call it a catchphrase, an introductory catchphrase that people use in modern evangelism that doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. And it goes like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, it's well-meaning, and if you have a well-meaning Christian who tells that to an unbeliever, and then, well, first of all, they might say, well, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Wow, I can go on my way and rejoice. And I don't have to do anything else because God, God loves me and has a, plan, a great plan for my life. But what about the person who, who hears that, rejects the gospel, and wakes up in torment and says and asks God, well, God, I was told that there was a wonderful plan for my life. What happened? Well, in a sense, it's a, it was like a false prophecy of sorts, isn't it? There are many other theological problems that you could, you could use why we shouldn't use that phrase. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But one in particular is found, in, and this is in your outline, in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How does that fit with God has a wonderful plan for your life? If you truly seek to walk an upright, godly life, you will face persecution, ridicule, false accusation, death threats. In many parts of the world, you may have loss of limb, loss of property, and even loss of life, perhaps even torture for the sake of Christ. And again, um, you could say uh, in New York, and this is in some ways we're getting some of this in the United States. In New York City, there was a Catholic church that was vandalized, and there was also a pregnancy center in Seattle that was vandalized, and they both had the same message spray-painted. One was probably a copycat of the other. If abortion is not safe, neither are you. It's a death threat or a threat of harm. So these things can happen here in the United States as well. But if you truly have saving faith, God does have a wonderful wonderful plan for you, a wonderful plan of eternal life. However, in this life, as soldiers of Christ, you may suffer battle wounds. You may suffer even death for the sake of Christ in this, in this life. It's not a very wonderful plan in this life, but it's a wonderful plan for everlasting life and the life to come, isn't it? That's why Jesus tells us to count the costs, and we'll look a little bit more at that, but Jesus tells us to count the costs in Luke 14. Nehemiah was granted um, 12 years of leave. God had his hand of mercy upon him. He prayed to the Lord. He sought God's face. He fasted, and then he went before the king. The king granted him leave to have a break of 12 years from serving as the king's cupbearer to then go and into the promised land and to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. For the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. He goes and he surveys the wall with a team at night and then they begin this a very vigorous work. It wasn't just uh, build, professional builders. You had people of every walk and class of life that were up on that wall, building that wall. Each one 
very often nearby where their house stood. They would get up on that wall and they would rebuild the section. Um, now, it wasn't that the wall was totally broke down. There were just major big defensive sections that were broken down and they had much to rebuild in order for that wall to serve as a good protection against uh, those who sought to do them harm in the surrounding country. But ne- uh, chapter 5 tells us that Nehemiah wasn't just a wall builder. He was acting as a governor for 12 years. He had to correct some of the things in society that were going wrong. There were some who were charging interest or usury for loans, and they were taking people's property. They were taking people's sons and daughters. Uh, when they couldn't pay the loan back, they would take all these things. Nehemiah goes before the rulers and the nobles, and he gets them to give it all back because they shouldn't have been charging that interest in the first place. So here he's then doing this wonderful work, and no doubt Nehemiah is a beloved man among many there in the promised land. But here we're, we're finding out in chapter 6 that he's facing a great deal of persecution. The main focus for today's text is that you are to seek God's help to be faithful in persecution. You are to seek God's help to be faithful in persecution. And we'll see this in two main points. Tactics to avoid traps. And secondly, God's help in persecution. Let's look at this first main point. The tactics to avoid traps. You can see that there are three main traps that the enemy attempted to plot against Nehemiah. And we'll look and see how Nehemiah overcame each of the three. The first is the assassination trap. Look at verses uh, 1 through 4. Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breaches remained in it, although at that time I had not set the doors in the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Sepharim, at the plain of Anno. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop and I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages four times to me in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. So the first way that he escaped this first trap of assassination is that he refused to meet with the wicked men. Now, some might say, well, I don't want to be an insult to these people by not agreeing to meet with them. But in this case, they were not worthy, were they? His answer was true, though. Why should I waste my time and come down to meet you? Why did the king grant me a leave to come to Jerusalem? He didn't, he didn't come for me to have... Uh, a lot of political talks with people. He came so that I would rebuild this wall and that I would rebuild these gates and I would rebuild the defenses of this great city. So that's the the reason. He was a valid reason that he gave to him. That's the reason King Artaxerxes granted him leave to return to the homeland in the first place. In a like fashion, if you have evil people who are trying to draw you out, Don't be bold and say, well, I'm going to meet with them anyway. You could do like Nehemiah and avoid all and any such contact with individuals. Now, a classic example in the movies, and it's found in all three movies, is 
as Marty in uh, the Back to the Future uh, movies. He, when, they, when they called him chicken, are you chicken? He's, he can't help it, but he's got to get himself in trouble and fight. Well, I don't care what people say. It's better to avoid any contact whatsoever. No matter what kind of heckles people might say to you, they call you chicken or they call you a coward or they call you anything of that sort, it's best not to go near, not to have any association with such persons. Um, he was aware that their plot was for his evil. Um, in fact, um, we were pretty much, uh, we know that earlier there was even a death threat already uttered against the Jews as well. So why would these Gentiles who had prior offered a de- uh, gave a death threat against the people of God to stop the work, why would you go out and meet with them? Um, so the, the next one is the accusation trap. Look at verses 5 through 7. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations... And Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you a king is in Judah. And now it has been reported to the king according to these reports. So he had this open letter. He, you could say the first letters were closed letters. They were private Now, an open letter was that other people would know the contents. It's very likely that when he brought the letter, he actually read the letter in the hearing of others because he wanted others to hear that Nehemiah is plotting a rebellion. And if you are plotting a rebellion along with Nehemiah, you're going to be considered traitors of King Artaxerxes and you're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And he was trying to instill fear in them. Toward the end of verse 7, Sanballat sought to use this tactic to get Nehemiah again in an isolated place. And look at the end of verse 7. He says, so come now, let us take counsel together. It's like, let's come together, and I'm going to put in a good word for the king that you're really not rebelling, are you? I'm going to put in a good word with King Artaxerxes. What do you think would have happened at that private little counseling session a knife in the back would have been what would happen he would have gotten a he would have been stabbed or shot through with an arrow so of course he realized that he's not um, he's not going to have any of that verse 8 he calls the man out as being an, an a liar basically verse 8 then i sent a message to him saying such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. Think about it. If King Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah to preserve him from assassination by poison, don't you think he trusted him to serve as a governor and ruler there in Judah? But it's inevitable that people will hurl false accusations against you. Jesus says that as well. Uh, it's there in your outline, Matthew five eleven. Now, this is if you seek to live a godly life, Jesus says this, Matthew five eleven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil 
against you because of me. Now, that, that happens if you live for Christ and not for yourself. But Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you can add to that, in the same way they persecuted Nehemiah, who was before you as well. Rest in what is true and holy and just. If you know the truth, what can man's accusations stand? How can they stand? And again, do like Nehemiah. Find a way to extinguish the false accusations. Notice that when Nehemiah did so, that, that ceased. This is the, uh, an, another plot here, is the false prophet trap. Look at verses uh, 10 through 11. Then I entered the house of Shem-Ai, uh, the son of Delia, uh, the son of um, Mehetabel, and was con- who was confined at home. Now, the reason he might have been confined at home is because maybe because of age. Um, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, Should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Okay, so three interpretations here. Why was Nehemiah hesitant to go into the temple? Well, one is that some claim that it would have been sin for Nehemiah to go in the temple because of him doing so, he was a, he was a, he was a governor, he wasn't a priest, and he would have been, it would have been a transgression of God's law for him to enter the temple. Well, that's not really valid because Gentiles were allowed in the court of the temple, but if you were a Jew, you were allowed in the temple for worship. Um, you definitely were not allowed in the Holy of Holies. Now, the, the question might be is that to go into the temple in the middle of the night, not for worship, maybe that would have been something that was forbidden. But at any rate, I, I think that's not the best argument. Matthew Henry says this. He says that it's very likely that they wanted to label him as a coward. They wanted to accuse him of being a coward and that would discredit him as a governor. Matthew Henry also goes on and says another possibility is that uh, to, if it was heard by the people that Nehemiah had his life sought after, that people were seeking to kill them in the temple, perhaps many would have rushed off the wall to then go and save their beloved Nehemiah. And that would have left the, some gaps in the wall so that they could then destroy sections of the wall um, that were less defended. Now, that's, uh, that's a possibility, or maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe there was actually someone that wanted to assassinate him in the temple. I wouldn't put it past someone like Sanballat or Tobiah. But in all of this, notice that Nehemiah's life was in great danger. So what do you, what do, you do if your life is in great danger and people are after you, they're accusing you, they're, they're seeking your life? It leads us to our next point, God's help in persecution. The first thing is that Nehemiah prayed. And notice with Nehemiah, much of the prayers of Nehemiah are not very long. Um, Nehemiah prayed at the end of verse 9, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. 
God answered this very brief prayer in the midst of persecution. God granted Nehemiah the ability to understand and to perceive deceit. He understood and perceived that the assassination t- attempt uh, would have been something that was, um, it was not just a meeting, but it was, it was a frank assassination attempt. And here are some of the reasons. The, the place of the open country of Ono, uh, that was at least 25 miles from Jerusalem. Why would you go somewhere 25 miles from the security of your city? Even if he would have had an armed guard, it was, it was likely that they were seeking to assassinate him. And again, these Gentiles had already uttered death threats, chapter 4, verse 11. God helped Nehemiah to perceive the work of false prophets. Let's look at verse 12. Then I perceived that, God, um, that surely God had not sent him. And that's the prophet who had uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So he perceived that them saying, you will surely die unless you go in the temple. That was like a, we believe that God has revealed to us that you will utterly die unless you go in this temple. Of course, it didn't come to pass. The prophecy was false. Uh, God granted Nehemiah courage um, when he, he prayed to God. God granted Nehemiah courage rather than giving in to fear. God helped him to flee fear when there were false accusations of insurrection hurled at him. Look at verse 9. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. God helped him to avoid the fear associated with the false prophets. Look at verses 13 and 14. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. They could say all kind of things about him, that he was a coward. Verse uh, 14, uh, he mentioned a team of false prophets who actually, it wasn't just one, but it was a, a team of them. Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Now, it's not just Nehemiah that has to face false prophets. We have to face false prophets in our day as well. Or you could say a false preacher who's getting up and saying, Thus saith the Lord, when God has not said. That's like a false prophet, isn't it? I have a friend who has a a clear case of a priest uh, acting as a false prophet on his behalf. He told his priest, he said, Father, I have a desire to get married and have a family. I I don't see myself going into the priesthood. Well, the priest's response was, it's not what you want, it's what God wants. So in other words, the voice of God told me, this is not for you, a family's not for you, children's not for you, the priesthood is for you, because God, this is God's will for you. It's not what you want, it's what God wants. Well, he went to seminary, he didn't finish, because he was opposed to some immoral practices in seminary. And uh, he, instead of those who were acting sexually immoral being booted out of the seminary, he was booted out of the seminary. So what the priest prophesied, that it's not what God wanted, it didn't even come to pass anyway, did it? So there are false prophets in our day. Every matter when someone tells you 
something to believe or something to do, if it does not reconcile with the Word of God, reject it. Reject it. Nehemiah prayed for God to enact justice on the wicked. Look again at verse 14. Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Can you imagine being in the religious order for your people and plotting with the enemies who want to destroy your gate and your city and the wall of your city? It's treason. They were committing treason against their own countrymen for the sake of money and proclaiming that God had told them. That's why he says, remember them. And when he says, remember them, O God, he's saying, remember what they've done. And if they don't repent, judge them, O Lord. God granted answers to Nehemiah's prayers because the people did a work that was interpreted rightly as a divine intervention from God. Verses 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished by the help of our God. Getting back to earlier in the chapters, in chapter 4, one of Tobiah's jokes and, and jests in verse uh, 3 of chapter 4, he says, if a fox should jump on it, it would break this stone wall down. They were heckling me. Well, they weren't <coughs> laughing anymore, were they? Because this was becoming a very formidable defensive wall. Instead of heckling and joking about it, they were losing confidence because everything they tried to throw at the Jews to stop the work failed. The, the gates were complete. The city became complete in 52 days. Perhaps some of them realized that we're not just fighting against some Jews. Maybe we're fighting against God himself. I want us to look at a passage that speaks of the same thing. Keep your place in Nehemiah, but also turn to Acts 5. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 33. This is when um, the, the apostles are taken before the court. Peter and the apostles are taken before the, uh, the Sanhedrin. And this is the uh, council of Gamaliel, uh, verse 33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Um, they were angry at their, um, their profession of the gospel through Jesus Christ. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short while for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you purpose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodas uh, rose up, claiming to be somebody. A group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed and all, all who followed him were dispersed and, became, and came to nothing. 
After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be found fighting against God. And that's what they were doing. They thought they were fighting against Nehemiah. They thought they were fighting against a, a new incoming governor. But they were fighting against God. And those of us who oppose the church, those in society and those in our nation who oppose the church, they're not just fighting against flesh and blood. They're fighting against God. And should pray that God would bring that to their understanding, that they would realize who they are in opposition to. Just as Nehemiah was delivered from his persecution, God promises to deliver his saints. 1 Peter 3.13 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Let's look also at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4, starting at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you, you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the re revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. God will help you. God will bless you and he will deliver you and he will help you to glorify him if you seek his face in the midst of suffering and persecution. The focus, again, of today's text is that you are to seek God's help to be faithful in persecution. <coughs> again, when we witness, rather than saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, it may be better to say like Jesus said in Mark 1, repent and believe the gospel. Now, telling people to repent, repent and believe the gospel is one of those things that people are not going to like very much. And you might get people that might say negative things about you for, uh, doesn't that person think he's holy? But that's what Jesus said. Each of us, 
I must repent and believe the gospel. You must repent and believe the gospel. The nations must repent and believe the gospel. Do you? Do you believe the gospel? And are you walking in repentance? Again, if you believe the gospel and embrace this gospel, you must count the costs. Because this is a war, and soldiers get shot, some even die. But all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Follow some of the tactics that Nehemiah practiced to avoid the traps. It's better to avoid any and all contact with evil men. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry if they feel insulted. Don't worry if their uncles or aunts call you and try to plead a case for their sake. If they're evil and wicked, avoid contact with them in as far as you can. When they hurl false accusations at you because of Christ, rest in the truth of God's word. You're not defined by the accusations or the words of men, but you're defined what God, by what God says about you. Your identity is not in what people say about you, but your identity must be rooted in Christ alone. Beware of false prophets. And there are false prophets even in the church of Christ. God's holy word must be your final, ultimate authority, not the word of men. Seek God's help in the midst of your persecution. Pray that wonderful little short prayer of Nehemiah. O God, strengthen my hands, I pray in Jesus' name. Your prayers don't have to be long. They have to be by faith. They have to be filled with faith, though, and offered believing. Ask him for wisdom in the midst of persecution. Ask him for wisdom to know when people are lying, to know when people are seeking to do you harm, when people are seeking to deceive you by false accusations or by false prophecy or a false preaching. Ask God to give you courage like he gave Nehemiah, that you would be bold like Nehemiah, that you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, that you're blessed when you do so, that you would not fear the intimidation of anyone, but that you would fear ultimately God so that you would not be troubled. Let's pray together. We ask our blessed Lord that you would help us in, our, in the midst of suffering and when we are ridiculed, when we are rejected, when we are um, given false accusations, when even people utter threats against us, we pray that you would help us to remember that we must be rooted in your holy word and by your spirit. Help us, we pray, to rest upon that rock, that solid rock and foundation by which we can survive the storms and difficulties of this life, even that rock and foundation which is Jesus Christ and his word. Help us, we pray, when we face persecution, to not fear, but to have courage like Nehemiah. Help us, we pray, that we would be those who are faithful even in the midst of persecution that we might shine forth as lights of your kingdom. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, our hymn of dedication, we'll stand and sing 246, Though Troubles Assail Us. Let's stand and sing 246.